News of the Galaxy, and the Monolith Trilogy. This is the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show's News of the Week with Jason Cousineau for December 6th, 2020. On this episode, Jason Cousineau and I, Eric Fisk, talk about our 12-hour suspension of all the Fedora Chronicles Twitter accounts, which included the main one, my personal one, the Paranormal Post, and the original Metaphysical Connection account, at Physics Laxative. All for calling out one political commentator's hypocrisy towards another. At some point, with all of this online censorship, getting a suspension is a badge of honor. The conversation then moves towards astronomy and space exploration news from the past week, including the psychological effects of looking at pictures from the Hubble telescope, the loss of the Arecibo Observatory, and the search for messages from God in the variations of the cosmic microwave background radiation. And a Chinese probe brings back the first lunar samples in decades. Stay tuned. The Fedora Chronicles radio show is brought to you by our patrons. Patreon.com slash Fedora Chronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to the show, show notes, behind the scenes action, and more. Coming soon, patrons will also be eligible for exclusive products and promotional materials. You can also support the Fedora Chronicles radio show and show off your amazing taste and style with new products from Zazzle. Zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. 12.5% of each purchase goes directly into keeping this podcast on the air. The Fedora Chronicles radio show can be heard on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Google Podcast, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, Player FM, Castro, and Breaker. If our podcast isn't on your favorite platform, let us know right away and we will pass along a special gift to you as a thank you. Our email address is fedorachronicle at gmail.com or you can reach us on Twitter at Fedora Chronicle. Once again, here's Jason Cousineau and me, Eric Fisk from the Fedora Chronicles. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Well, at least we should start the show with some good news or or a handful of good news items, as it were. Um, just checked out our um, our Spotify. And if you actually go to Twitter.com and you look up the Fedora Chronicles, which Jay is doing right now, um, we linked to something that Spotify had sent us and looking at all of our numbers, as it were and all the great things that have been going on. And <laughs> the biggest listener growth, according to Spotify, this past year is from the United Kingdom. And we have 333% growth in the UK. So I, I, get, I guess we're doing something great in the United States, uh, in the United Kingdom. And they, they, they have this wonderful little slideshow that I saw. And I guess when you click the link, you don't get to see the slideshow that I got to see. Um, but you just click the link that is like I just, I, I just posted on Twitter. And um, it, 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 will, it will take you right there to our, our Spotify account. So everybody who is listening 
to us via Spotify from the UK. Thank you and welcome, and we will endeavor to do a better show to to earn your listenership. Not to say that we're not already doing a great show, but we're going to do better. Can always do better. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of doing better, uh, Carol asked for my Christmas wish list, and all of it is just audio equipment, more microphones, <laughs> audio cable, because I want to clean up this rat's nest that I have. Um, maybe a new uh, audio compressor and uh, 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 some portable recorders so that it's like when I'm actually interview pe interviewing people on the spot, I'm not whipping out my iPhone. So something that's a little bit more professional and a little bit more up, a little bit more upscale. So some good news. And thank you to all of our awesome, wonderful listeners. Uh, yeah. Now let's cheers to our listeners in the UK. Thank you to everybody all over the world, but especially you folks in the UK. Um, now for the bad news, <laughs> as it were, this was like a very strange, hard, difficult week from hell. Um, uh, no more or no less as bad as all the other weeks from hell. Um, this one just sucked a little differently. We were suspended for about 12 hours on Twitter. And I'm still trying to figure out what exactly did we do that was so awful. The last thing that I think... Well, first of all... Hold on, hold on. First of all, it's Twitter, so it's not necessarily something awful we did. It could be completely arbitrary. Exactly. Because we, we released two episodes, our Cyber Monday specials that we released. The first one we talked about was, was pretty heavy-handed with the politics. Um, and we basically, one of the things that we had talked about is like there are, is a large majority or a majority of people who will never believe that this was a fair and honest election from the primary season all the way up to the elections and the recounts. There's some people who are never going to believe that it was um, a, a legitimate election. There's some, yes. There are so many people who are going to believe that that's rigged. And I had said that um, the president-elect is, is he's not a nice person. He's not a good person. And that we've re we've we haven't really solved any problems. It's like it's like meet the we meet the new boss same as the old boss, right? And then we did the second episode where we were just talking about genetically modifying monkeys and making you know making trying to make monkeys more intelligent and more human like, and the 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 Utah monolith. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I had said on Twitter just before we were suspended for 12 hours, Keith Oberman said something about Sean Hannity that I thought was hypocritical. And I'll play the clip or I'll insert the clip later where Sean Hannity had said in one of his when his when in one of his rants, they don't vet the information that they present on the show. We in this hour, I am not told what to say. I don't vet the information on this program that I give out. We have always been independent, follow our own path on this show. That's not going to change for me ever. This is what Sean Hannity thinks about this specific issue and these news reports. And Keith Oberman, 
made a snide comment about Sean Hannity admitting that he doesn't vet any of the information. And I had said that's <laughs> that's like the pot calling the kettle black because all you do is an opinion show. You go off and you're, you're angry and you voice your frustration at the other side. You are the liberal Sean Hannity. And went to bed, got some sleep, woke up, found out that our Twitter accounts had been suspended. My personal one, Eric Fisk at the Fedora Chronicles, and the other one at the Fedora Chronicles were both suspended. Which is frustrating, but at the same time, it's kind of, you know, when, like, when you, like I said when you told me, well, it's kind of a badge of honor at this point. It is. I'm trying to figure out, like, so the thing is, is that for, um, for me to get back on Twitter, I had to enter in my phone number and then click and say that I agree with the terms of service and take down the post that was offensive. What post offended people? What was the offensive post? Basically, I said that Keith Oberman is the liberal Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity is the conservative Keith Oberman. I mean, that sounds, I don't know, that sounds about right to me. That's the last thing I posted. And when I went to take it down, it was already gone. I have to take down the offending post. But when I went to take down what I thought was the offending post, it was already gone. And I had to click the OK button to say, I won't do that again. I don't know what I did wrong. Sorry, Dad. I didn't mean it. Don't beat me again. I, I, Seriously, that's that's kind of their their model for how they treat people on Twitter. They punish you first, never tell you what you did wrong, want you to apologize, then they'll let you back. It's it's just so it's fucked up. I'm not asking for a lot. I just want to know what I did wrong. <laughs> right? Know? Can you just just give me a hint at least to say you know, it wasn't this post, it was that post. It was you like, know, just, just, yeah, it's like that abusive spouse who um, says, well, if you don't know what you did wrong, I I'm not going to tell you. Right. Which is just so counterproductive. But you wonder why people are going to parlor or parlay. You wonder why people are going to parlay. You wonder why people are going to Mines and MeWe and yeah. Gab. You wonder why people are leaving Facebook. And my son is doing a paper on why social media sucks. And I would like to be able to have him on the podcast as an extra credit project. And we could just sit down and say, this is, this is why social media is so awful now. This is what's going on, and it's, it, it is a problem. Am I exaggerating when I say it's a problem? Or is this like just one of those first world issues where it's like, okay, Snowflake, get over it? I don't I, I disagree with the premise of, you know, uh, it, it's your problem, Snowflake, get over it. I, I disagree with that. And whereas I do think people being offended is a choice. I also think there's... You know, other people sometimes are just shit, you know, and my problem with especially Twitter more so, although Facebook is started doing this for a while and then they seem to be stepping back from it. If you have people on your platform and you're punishing them and not telling them why they're being punished, and then when they point out that these other accounts are doing the same exact thing, yeah. but not being punished, 
why are you being inconsistent? And then your response is to say, no, we're being completely assistant. We were just unaware of them. Right. And then they proceed to continue to not block the other people. There's a problem with how Twitter's being run is what it boils down to. And I don't mean run as a company. I mean run in the way they censor things. Yeah. It is within their right to do so. However, they, in my opinion, are doing everything they possibly can to drive people away from the platform. Plain and simple. They're doing everything they can to push people to go elsewhere for their tweeting needs. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, MeWe is more like competition for Facebook. Parlay is more like competition for Twitter. And I'm not familiar with the other two that you mentioned just because I haven't, haven't really played with them much. Right. So, you know how do you express that to them though? How do you, how do you venture frustrations to them in, in a meaningful way? I have no idea. Well, you do it on your podcast and then you move on with the rest of your life. Well, that's what we do. But I mean, it doesn't mean Twitter is going to pay any fucking attention to us because fuck them. Well, somebody is listening to us. Somebody is listening to us. And the thing is, is that, is that, um, and I can understand that our listeners may not have even noticed that we had been suspended for 12 hours because when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm at the day job, when I'm at the factory, uh, this is what this is what it is that I do. I am busy doing whatever it is that I'm getting paid to do, and I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> they frown on people on their cell phones unless they yeah. have some kind of an emergency. No, you're putting plastic pieces together to make kits that do this thing that hospitals and doctors need to have done. They really don't want somebody on their Twitter constantly like posting about what um, Kendall Jenner did last night. They don't need that, that crap. No, no. Yeah. Well, in, in my opinion, no one needs to post anything about any of the Kardashians, but that's just me. No. Go ahead. So I can understand why people like if you blinked, you missed our, our ban or suspension. And it was just like, so how am I to know not to do this again? Because I already have one strike against me. How am I how am I going to know where the landmines are unless I step on one? Well, and plus, I don't know the way they police Twitter, but having been spanked once are you more likely to get spanked again are they paying attention closer attention to your account than they would other people's accounts is that how that works it does kind of make you wonder doesn't it uh yeah it makes me wonder a lot and it makes me wonder if whether or not this is a business model that they can s sustain and i wonder if like if this is not going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back Whereas it's like, you can say the most mean-spirited stuff about one, one group of people on one side of the political spectrum, but you say something else, even if you call out their hypocrisy, that's a landmine that you, you can't step on. Right. And it's not, to me, you know, if they don't want conservative voices or they don't want liberal voices on their platform, then just fucking say it in the terms of service know that if you are someone of this political persuasion, you are probably going to get your shit banned quite a bit because we are a platform that leans this other way. Right. As a private company, you have every right to be that way. All right. The First Amendment does not apply to your house. It does not apply to your company. 
your company can be as politically biased as they want. They can tell you they don't want you talking about certain things on their platform. A private company can do that. Businesses can refuse service to anyone for any reason, including some really awful bigoted reasons. They have that right. Whether they exercise them appropriately or not is another thing. But the fact remains is if you're going into a business and you want to have a con- do a business transaction with somebody, they can choose not to do business with you. And there's other places you can go. So, you know, move on, right? However, if you're not going to warn people that if that certain political ideas are not going to be allowed to be discussed on the platform, and then you're going to create these obtuse rules that you're going to apply haphazardly, don't be surprised when people start bitching. Right. You know, if you're not going to apply it even handedly, at least tell people why. And the option of saying, we lean left in this company, so if you lean right, you're more likely to get banned. Give people that heads up. Just fucking admit it, right? Yeah. You know, I don't don't look at CNN's news and expect to get a fair and balanced report. I don't look at Fox News and expect to get a fair and balanced report. Why? Because CNN leans left, Fox leans right. How have I learned that? By using my own brain and seeing on how they report things and seeing what they choose to report. You know, where does the state of any of Trump's electoral legal battles stand? You're only going to hear about it on Fox News. You're not even going to hear about it on CNN or MSNBC. Or if they even mention it, they phrase it in such a way that make it look like Trump's a four-year-old who's just whining because someone took away his binky. Right. Right. And yet these same news outlets in 2000 were all we were all hanging with bated breath to find out about all the hanging chads. Right. From the from Al Gore. What is Trump doing differently than what Al Gore did? And why wasn't Al Gore framed as being a petulant child, whereas Trump is? I don't know, because bias, political bias. And that's that's the truth of it. And again, you can have your political bias. Just be fucking honest with it. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying CNN, the liberal name in news or Fox, the conservative name in news. There's nothing wrong with that. I do. No, they want to put up these appearances of being fair and balanced. Fuck it. I don't care. I'd rather you're just honest. One of our listeners had said to us that we don't criticize the right conservatives enough this is his moment and this is something that he needs to hear what started us on this conversation is that i criticized keith oberman for calling out sean hannity for admitting that he doesn't vet the news that he reports on and keith oberman is has every right to call out sean hannity for that what what sean hannity has done is pretty much delegitimize himself as a quote news reporter or a quote news commentator jason cousineau and eric fisk both have full-time jobs they have families they have houses and they talk about themselves in the third person too uh, too much (laughs) you have a full-time job and i have a full-time job yep 
when we talk about news items on the podcast, I promise you at least I've read the entire article before I comment on it. Or you can actually hear me going through the article that just came on the wire. And you and I, like, we'll talk about it in real time. We've done that in, in episodes in the past. You know, at least we are trying to be informed. We are trying to tell you the truth about what we think about a specific issue and a specific topic. And the entire purpose of this was, A, to have a platform where I can talk about things that I couldn't talk about other, on other platforms. And also because the thing is, is that there are people who have said to me that our podcast is the most important podcast news for nerds, as it were, because we talk about stories that they've never heard of before. And we talk about news items that don't get the kind of attention that they should be getting from other news outlets. Um, and one of the things that I have looked at as far as our stats is that people get really excited when we like talk about like strange news or odd news, paranormal news, space news, or as I like to call it, space news. <laughs> I and people are burned out from the politics. People yeah. don't want to. People don't want us talking about it because with the the one episode that we did about a month ago, um, something wicked this way comes, got about four times as many listens as the other podcasts that we did in the week that followed. And I'm kind of like, I just want to stick to weird news. I just want to stick to entertainment. I don't. I don't want to talk about the other nonsense or the other BS that's going on. I think that people come to us because they want to break from the other garbage that is the other hot garbage that's going on in the world. And it's yeah. like, but there are sometimes I, I have to talk about something and I, I know that we will take a hit for it. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, this is our podcast. Our right. podcast does not have a mandate from the federal government to discuss things. Our podcast does not, there's no one saying that we have to criticize conservatives and liberals equally. We freely admit we lean to the right. We admit that, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you've heard us say numerous times, we lean to the right or I'm on the right side of the aisle, or you've said you're on the right side of the aisle, or we've even said, I lean right on this topic, but on this other topic, I actually lean left you know where we're coming from right you know um the one thing i think the that they have a point with is you and i have both said that i hope i criticize the people on my side that are doing the wrong thing yeah you know but at the same time if we're going to do that we need to see that they're doing something we think is hypocritical you know you and i have not been shy in our criticism of donald trump Right. You know, I don't think Donald Trump is a conservative. I think Donald Trump is a capitalist and an opportunist, which aligns more with the conservative side of the aisle than it does the liberal side of the aisle. But he's not a conservative. He is a opportunistic capitalist. Right. Right. Which if you look at his policies and what's gone through, you know, even like the peace in the Middle East that he got between was it uh, Saudi Arabia and Jerusalem? 
which no one's gotten that. No one's got that done. He got he got that done. That's an aspect of capitalism. The economy was running extremely well until we voluntarily shut it down because of COVID. That's capitalism. The things he's done well are because he's a capitalist by nature. Is he the greatest capitalist who ever lived? No. Absolutely not. No, he is not. But he, that's how he views the world. He views it through that lens, that capitalism lens. And he's an opportunist and a narcissist. And that's where our criticisms come from. But if you're going to listen to a couple of people who are conservative by nature and wonder why they're not criticizing a conservative and allegedly conservative politician for conservative policies – probably looking for the wrong kind of criticism of this guy from the wrong people. If you want to hear us criticize Donald Trump because he's an ass, oh, hell yeah, we'll do that. And we have. You know, it's all, it's all about personal perspective. We try and be honest about where we stand politically. So if you're listening to us and you lean left, you know, okay, well, these guys are a couple of conservative idiots. And, you know, therefore, they're really not going to criticize people on the right the way I would as a liberal. And if you don't know how you lean and you're listening to people who say they're conservative and you think they're not criticizing the left enough, chances are you're probably more moderate or left than we are. You know, it's it, again, it boils down to that whole what how you react to something is your decision. And it is a decision. You can have a gut reaction, but then what you do in addition to that, how you express that is a decision for you to make. Someone can say something that'll piss me off. That doesn't mean I have to fly off the handle. It means I can acknowledge, wow, that ticked me off. And then I can choose what I want to do from there. Do I want to evaluate why it pissed me off? Do I want to get mad at them and throw a hissy fit and act like a fucking four-year-old? Do I want to engage them in a conversation to discover why, why they're pissing me off? Am I going to evaluate what I'm doing to try and find out why I've pissed them off? Or am I going to say, you know what? I've pissed them off. That's fine. They've pissed me off in the past. I guess we're even and move on. I always wonder, how can I work this into the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand why people think because you've chosen to react a certain way, you need to impose a different mode of behavior on other people. You can't control other people. Right. You can control yourself. So start with that. Start with yourself. Well, here's something I want to start with. And this is another landmine that we might step on and get into a little bit of trouble. And I want you to hear me out on this. The actress Ellen Page had posted on social media that she is now a he and would like to be referred to as Elliot Page. And he is proud that he is who he is. And now Elliot Page can live his life in his as his own true self. I don't first congratulations and good for you for being the person you want to be. As far as I'm concerned, that's all a part of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that person gets to go on with their lives, living their lives the way they want to live it. 
And for the most part, none of us have any criticism. We have no right to criticize somebody like Elliot Page. Because when you look, when you really look hard at it, it really doesn't affect you or it shouldn't affect you. One of the things that I thought, and this always strikes me as, um, and the word, the word evil is not the right word. I, I Maybe evil is not right. It just means spirited. The mm-hmm. attacks that Elliot Page has taken on social media from people who have way too much time on their hands. What, is, what does it do for you? Why does it make you so angry that this person made this lifestyle choice? How does it affect you? Does it take money out of your pocket? Does it take money out of your bank account? Do you lose your overtime pay? Do, um, are you are, are you going to be taxed more? I don't understand the venom. I honestly See, don't. And I'm gonna, I, I got to agree with you there. I don't either. No, it's sort of it's it's sort of like this. I I there are aspects of my dress, my clothing, the way I dress. I dress as if it's still 1930s or 1940s in some small way. And there are people in at vintage aficionados, as it were, who get upset because I'm not all retro all the time or I'm not all vintage all the time. I prefer retro reproductions rather than shell out all this money for this used clothing that was hiding in grandpa's closet for 30 or 40 years. I made a choice. This is what this is. This is how I'm going to dress. And I, and I made this choice when I was probably 14, 15 years old. And it bothered so many people because I would not conform to the style standards. I wasn't dressing like everybody else. Now, if you see pictures of the way people dressed, in 1983, 1984, it's a little cringeworthy, okay? <laughs> and then you look at a picture of Eric Fisk and how he dressed back then. It's really not a lot different, except for the quality and the fitting is a little better. I don't understand. Who cares? Why take well, all the energy? And that's the, that's the true crux of it, isn't it? Again, why, as you pointed out, what does it matter to you what this other person is doing with their own life? It was like when gay marriage, you know, what, 10 years ago now, 11 years ago, when gay marriage started being this really big deal, right? It started off in Massachusetts and then kind of other states stepped in on it. One of the problems that I had was, I wasn't against gay marriage. I really don't care. I just don't want a gay couple suing a church for not allowing them to perform a gay wedding, which goes against that church's beliefs on their grounds. There is no reason why a church should be forced to conform to a social standard that they don't uphold as part of their beliefs. That is my only contention with gay marriage. It's not going to change my marriage. I fucked that up all on my own. I don't need any help with that. You know, two people loving each other want to spend the rest of their life together. Fuck, let them, let them do it. That's a good thing. In my opinion, I've, I was never opposed to gay marriage. I was opposed to the couple then trying to sue a church for not performing that wedding. And 
it's I, I gotta see if I can find it on the Wayback Machine. I keep forgetting to go look for it. Well, well, you that was that. actually the objective of the people who took it, the the couple that took it to the Massachusetts Supreme Court. That was their objective: is to go after churches for what they deemed was persecution. Right? That quickly fell out of the limelight. That quickly fell out of the the scope of yeah. how the story was framed right. in the media. Right. Here, but that was one of the stated objectives of the – when I say the people, I don't mean just the couple because there was an organization based out of um, Provincetown on Cape Cod. And that was their goal in supporting that couple and bringing it up to the Massachusetts Supreme Court was that they wanted to be able to sue Catholic churches for, for discrimination. Here's – a wrinkle to this, and I want you to stop and think about this. And let's see if I have the balls to leave this in the podcast and not edit it in the future. One of the reasons why Carol and I left Monadnock Full Gospel Church is because Pastor Ben Swan did not want us to renew our vows on our anniversary that happened to fall on a Sunday. Because we needed to go, we need to go to marriage counseling. Because he wanted to make sure that our marriage was going to work out and that we were fully yoked and that we were compatible with the, the, the vision and the mission of Christ as he saw it in his church. He did not want us to renew our vows for whatever reasons. And I've heard various other reasons from other people who used to also go to that church. For whatever reason, Pastor Ben Swan did not want us to renew our vows at Monadnock Full Gospel Church at the bottom of the hill on Middle Winchenden Road. There were a couple of other things, and Harrison is looking at me funny, and he's waving at me. <laughs> and the thing is, is that why would we want to be at a church where the pastor did not want us to renew our vows and have a little mini wedding ceremony? Why would we want to be members of that church and that was really the beginning of the end and then to turn around and welcome this other couple who got back together after the wife left her husband to shack up with a younger man she left her husband with four or five kids and and she came back like the protestant the the, pro, the prodigal son and it was yeah. a big huge celebration oh hey welcome back hey we're so happy that you know you you could find god's forgiveness and it was just like and that happened like just maybe a month or two after we were not allowed to renew our vows why would you want to have your wedding at a church where you're not welcome i don't understand right. that find somewhere else this, find somewhere else you right, want to exactly There's, it why don't you go someplace you're welcome? I mean, this is not to say that someone who's not being welcoming is not being an ass because they, they really are. But again, you can choose how you react to that. There, I have definitely been in places where I was not welcome. Right. And I chose my reaction was to get the fuck out of there. Right. You don't want me here. Why would I be here? But unfortunately, the reason why he doesn't have a church anymore is because of decisions like that. You want to be a jackass. You want to make people feel bad because of the choices that they made. And they're trying to make good on their lives. They're trying to turn the page, but you're going to shit on them because 
they they made bad choices in the eyes of Christ, you don't have a church anymore. And the thing is, is that people in this town don't like this pastor anymore, this former pastor anymore, because he was a judgmental prick. He literally bit the hand that fed him. And this goes to everybody else. If you're not welcome there, don't go. But you be sure to tell all your friends the reason why you won't go to that restaurant because you don't feel welcome there. They didn't want to serve you at that restaurant because you wear a funny hat or you wore too much makeup or not enough makeup at all or because you're gay or because you're straight. Somebody wants to be an asshole. You want to shut them down. Don't take it to the court. Take it to the court of public opinion. Write a post on social media. Call up Eric and Jay and say, Eric and Jay, you're not going to believe this. I was wearing my fedora at the local McDonald's and they tossed me out because they don't serve my kind here. Right. And we'll tell you why the fuck are you eating at McDonald's anyway? Haven't you seen Super Size <laughs> Me yet? <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> Jeez. But the thing is, is like, listen, let Elliot Page be Elliot Page. Let Ben Swan be Ben Swan. Right. Okay. If your kid wants to get a tattoo, let your kid get a tattoo as long as they don't have like have extreme body modifications to the extent that nobody wants to hire them. Because that's another thing that you have to think about. You look at the mirror, you're going to have to ask yourself, why would anybody want to hire me to do this job? Why would anybody want me to be the face of their company? Right. Well, it's just like, all right, so I'm back in the dating world, right? Uh, oh, awesome. I get to live vicariously through you. No, I mean, what? what? Yes. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I love my well, wife. Well, the thing is, in the dating world is like you go on like Match.com or any of these dating sites and you see these people saying must, you know, you know, if, if you're not going to take me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best, blah, 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 this, that and the other thing. And while that's true, it also speaks to the kind of person you are that you feel the need to post that on a place where you're meeting people for the very first time. What happened to you that was so awful that you have to post that? Right, exactly. And first of all, I feel bad for them. Right. But on the other hand, now they're throwing that out there in a very aggressive manner that I just don't want to fucking deal with. Now, at the same time, I think, you know, I'm, I, I'm 50 years old. If when I go out and I'm looking at, at women who are like 45 or more and they say no drama, no baggage, I'm like, okay, you're looking for a, a person who's recently recovered from a 30-year coma. If you're over 40 years old <laughs> and you don't have drama and you do not have baggage, you haven't done a goddamn thing in your life. Everyone has baggage. Everyone has drama. The truth of the matter is we're looking for people who have compatible drama and damage to what we have. Right. You know? I don't expect other people to be perfect. I may never get in another long-term relationship again as long as I live. I have no idea. Right now, I'm not concentrating on that. I'm concentrating more on who I am as a person. Am I comfortable with who I am? Because after that, everything else is either going to happen or it isn't. And if you're not comfortable with yourself, if you need to have that other person in your life, 
you need to be worthy of having another person in your life. And if you're so fixated on your own damage that you can't acknowledge the damage you have and move either move past it or deal with it, are you worth someone is, are you worth the good? Because that's the other flip side of that little saying is if you're good, if you at your best isn't worth the shit I have to put up with, with you at your worst, why would I want to be with you? I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I honestly, here's the thing. And here's something that everybody needs to know. There are two or three reasons why I will never leave Carol. First and foremost is that I love her just the way she is. I would not change a thing about, well, no, wait a minute. There is one thing I would change about Carol, but there's nothing she can do about it. It's just the way it is. And that's just our time management. You'll notice how I said our time management, because I take ownership of that too. I wish we had more time together. That's the only thing that I would change about my relationship with my wife. Literally, that's the only thing that I would change. Meaning, I wish we traveled more together. I wish we went out on dates. Just the two of us more. There's nothing. And I'm looking at a picture of my wife and I together that Misty Lockhart took of us together as my wallpaper. I love this woman to pieces. I have no plans on leaving her because I love her. Now I got a Google for science. (laughs) (laughs) all right the other reason why i would never leave carol is because of the horror stories you've told me (laughs) (laughs) i'm living vicariously through you and learning the lesson that i would rather admit that i'm wrong when i know that i'm right than have to deal with the shit that you put up with yeah and and just leave it at that and also the other thing is that it was just like, A, people are crazy. And f- to find another woman who's who isn't too crazy to put up with me is like trying to, it's like, I'll find a unicorn first. <laughs> I want to talk about some space news. Let's do that. Let, let's, let's do, do space let's, news. Let's do some space news. One space news item that I wanted to talk to you about. This is from the Atlantic. Um... This is published on December 1st, and I had to uh, share this with you and the listeners. And The Atlantic admits to something that I have known for decades. Galaxy Brain is real. Looking at long views from Hubble Telescope might be good for you. And this is from Marina Corin, published on December 1st, 2020. Um... In December of 1995, astronomers found that the world was vying for a chance to use the hottest new tool in astronomy, the Hubble Space Telescope. Bob Williams didn't have to worry about that at all. As director of the institution that managed Hubble, Williams would use the telescope to observe whatever he wanted, and he decided to point at nothing in particular. Williams' colleagues told him, as politely as they could, that this was an awful idea. But Williams had a hunch that Hubble would see something worthwhile. The telescope had already captured the glow of faraway galaxies. The longer Hubble gazed out in one direction, the more light it would detect. So Hubble started at the, at, stared at the same bit of space nonstop for 10 days. 
precious time on a very expensive machine, snapping exposures after exposures as it circled the Earth. The resulting image was astounding. Some 3,000 galaxies sparkled like gemstones in the darkness. The view stretched billions of years back in time, revealing other cosmic locales as they were when their light re left them and began coasting across the universe. I love, I still love looking at that image, William told me earlier this year as Hubble celebrated its 30th anniversary. Hubble, the most powerful telescope in orbit, is still producing dazzling observations of targets near and far, from the familiar places in our solar system to the mysterious suns of other worlds. The mission might be one of the most easiest scientific endeavors to maintain in the middle of a plague for you. Some people do have the sense that when they're looking across millions of light years, that our ups and downs are ultimately meaningless on that scale. David Yadin, a research scientist in psychopharmacologically at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. By the way, we have a new drinking game. Every time I mispronounce a word or a name, you get to take a shot. Um, oh. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> but I think space in images can also draw our attention of the preciousness of local meaning. Our loved ones, our people close to us, this earth. It's not a leap to think that always occurs, but I think of the benefits flow to people who make that leap. So the thing is, there's this thing called space brain, or as I like to call it, space brain. Whereas looking at pictures astronomy pictures causes something in your brain that and it makes you a better person as it were looking at these images makes you realize how precious life is on earth and when i look at these pictures and i don't know if you're the same way i wonder i i, I wonder it's like are there is there somebody out there looking back at me in 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 that direction? Is there somebody there who has the same thoughts and concerns that I have? Or is there something else? Do they have thoughts and concerns and ideas that are beyond my comprehension? What yeah. I, I I think yeah, go ahead. I, I look at I look at these pictures like I am looking at a picture of NGC. 2070 and i'm looking at this and it was like what kind of what kind of civilizations are out there what kind of stories are being told out there what what are people out there who have evolved on the worlds out there doing and thinking and are they looking out at the stars the way we do and it and um it's it's captivating it's and i think that wanting to be an astronomer when I was much younger, um, probably made me a better person and made me see the world differently. And according to these psychiatrists and psychologists, that's actually a good thing and that there is such thing as, quote, galaxy brain and that it's, it, it could, there, so um, there's a woman by the name of Judy Schmidt who is actually, um, she actually has, I think, this hypothesis or this thought or idea that um, there's actual benefit, benefits to looking at space pictures and that there might be some kind of, not pharmaceutical benefit, but some kind of psychological benefit or sociological benefit to looking at these pictures. 
Oh, I definitely would think there is. I mean, it's, it, I don't know. It seems kind of obvious to me personally. Yeah. Um, there's, there's definitely a benefit to, how to phrase it, uh, to taking a step outside yourself, which is really what happens when you're looking at these, at these pictures of outer space and all of that is you're really putting, you're stretching your mind, you're stretching your imagination, you're stretching your, you're challenging yourself intellectually to some extent. Right. And I think that's an important part of life, of, of growing up, of being an adult is that ability to put yourself in another situation to push yourself to think of something in someone other than yourself. That is where, you know, to draw this back into dating, that is where what really everyone's looking at is I want to find someone who cares about me, who puts me in some small way ahead of themselves. Right. Now it doesn't mean you, you damage yourself for another person. It means you're willing to put up with putting them ahead of yourself for an extended period of time, not in every way, because you can't totally ignore yourself. Right. Looking into space does that for us. Now we're not thinking in terms of just how this affects us as an individual. We're thinking of it in terms of what does it mean to those people out there? If there are people out there, you know, are those, those people who may or may not exist out there, are they, are they looking back at us and you're extending your own sympathy and empathy to these people or beings who may not even exist? Right. You know, and I, I think that is a good and healthy thing. I think that's something that everyone as as an individual would benefit from engaging in a little bit of that sort of imaginative. Uh, I don't know how to phrase it um, in that imaginative realm of how we look at the world you know yeah i think it's those those things are important to us it's important for us to be able to do that that is one of the reasons why you know sci-fi even freaking exists for crying out loud yeah is answering those questions of what if there is something out there beyond me what if you know is there does this what does it all mean? And does this make me a better person? Does it make me a worse person? Am I going to, you know, am, what am I going to do so that if, <laughs> to kind of really stretch the incredulity, if I'm the one that has to represent the earth, how am I going to represent it? Yeah, What sort exactly. of a representative am I going to be? How are we going to get them on the podcast? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> right? This Wouldn't that be... Wouldn't that be funny if like, you know, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, you know, it, it's dark out there and you and Carol are sitting in the kitchen having a discussion. Then you hear and you go and open the door and it's like the representatives of Centauri seven. And they're like, we have been listening to your podcast. We would like to have interview. <laughs> oh, uh, on the other extreme, and this is really sort of sad, uh, this is from the BBC News, and other news organizations have also published um, variations of this story. Iconic Arecibo Laboratory Telescope Collapses. 
Um, this is really sort of probably one of the saddest things I have read in recent memory. I actually got teared up about this. I actually started to, I, I, I was more upset about this than reading the news that David Prowse had passed away. Um, Puerto Rico iconic Arecibo Observatory Telescope collapses, and these pictures are absolutely totally heartbreaking. Uh, the United now is this the one that was in that James Bond movie? I think this. I think it was. It's been the backdrop of so many other movies. Um, while I'm reading this, just do a quick search and see if whether or not they actually filmed the ending of Goldeneye at this um, uh, at the Arecibo Space Telescope. The United States National Science Foundation said that the telescope's 900-ton instrument platform fell onto the reflector dish some 450 feet below. It came just weeks after officials announced that the telescope would be dismantled amid safety fears following damage to the support system. The Arecibo Observatory Telescope was one of the largest of the world. It was a key scientific source for radio astronomy for 57 years and was also made famous as the backdrop for a scene in the James Bond film, <laughs> Goldeneye, and other there Hollywood movies. I think it was also used in the movie Contact. Um, so many great science has come from this giant telescope. It's actually just built into a hill. Um... It was, and it was probably up until I think the Hubble teles Space Telescope. I think that this was one of the most powerful tools for astronomy for literally decades. Uh, this is also one of the places where it's like I think that um, SETI had used to look for intelligent life in the universe elsewhere in the universe as it was the way i said that the way i said it the first time is like is there intelligent life in the universe <laughs> if you sometimes been... i wonder if there's intelligent life on this podcast i that's it you know, on, we... on this podcast what <laughs> what <laughs> what between the two of us oh between I mean, the two of us there's there's sometimes i wonder you know do we have coherent thought <laughs> Which reminds me, there's one episode that I think that we need to re-record because um, the one that we were doing about that episode of Unsolved Mysteries, it was all over the place. It's hot garbage. I, and, I think, uh, and I think that we could actually, um, I think we could actually do a tighter version of that. Um, see, this is what happens when I record sober. This, this is oh, oh, the problems. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, think that, I think that this is, oh, and it was also used in the movie Contact. Um, starring Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey. Um, it's it's deeply sad. I hope that they will consider rebuilding this. Well, I don't know, because they're, the, the technology required for a, a telescope or an observatory within the confines of the Earth's atmosphere is not at the point where we are getting any benefit over an, an observatory that's like the Hubble telescope mounted on a space station. Right. But I saw somewhere that they're actually considering launching another space telescope like Hubble. Right. Because of basically so much, so much good stuff has come from Hubble. They're like, well, shit, let's send up another one, you know, like you do. And yeah. I, I, 
don't know if it's other than nostalgia reasons. I don't know how much of a benefit we would see from another another Earthbound telescope like that. Is it? Would it be? Would the benefits outweigh outweigh the costs of what we would what we would learn from these things? And let's be honest, that's really the whole goal of all of these telescopes. Even much of the scientific, much of the space exploration that we do in the limited form we can is all in the search for knowledge. What can we learn? What can we, how can we expand our horizons intellectually by doing this exploration? You know, whether it's through the Hubble telescope or from the, whatever scientific experiments they're conducting on the International Space Station, you know, and as much as like people don't want to admit it, the truth of the matter is Earth has finite resources. Some of them are renewable. Some of them are not. All of them are finite in some form or another. You know, eventually the Earth is going to run out of metal that we can use for building stuff. So where are we going to, if we're going to, like, if you look at Star Wars. Yeah. One of the, this is, this goes to show you what kind of a fucked up kid I was. I remember watching Star Wars in the movie theater and being just fascinated by it. But then I remember thinking like a couple of days after watching it, where did they get all of the metal to build the Death Star? That's a fuck ton of metal. Where the hell did they get all of that metal? Well, I actually, Jesus, I would have thought that if you just mined all of the asteroids in uh, just one or two or several solar systems, I'm sure you could scrounge up enough. But then that, then to have to do that twice. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it's not like they were putting it on a credit card or something. You know, they've, they've got resources. Which we, it, yeah. Which, which reminds me of a really great um, skit that they had on Robot Chicken about exactly that. Like, how, what was it like when Darth Vader had to tell the Emperor... Palpatine. <laughs> I love that skit. What do you mean they blew up the Death Star? F oh, f Who's they? What the hell is an aluminum falcon? Okay, okay, so, so who's left? Are you me? Well, where are you? Wait a sec, you've been flying around for two weeks trying to get a signal? Oh, you must smell like feet wrapped in leathery burnt bacon. Bleep, bleep, bleep. What the fuck is an aluminum falcon? I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Didn't we, did, and by the way, didn't, didn't we just do an episode on the efficacy of of uh, of space industry and exploitation. Um, here's another storm we had. Yeah, I th yeah, yes. Um, this is from uh, the website Science Alert. An astronomer has searched for the universe, searched the universe for a potential message from the creator. The universe is a mysterious place. We don't know why it exists, and there are a lot of unanswered questions as to how. But what if it was created on purpose by an intelligent entity if there is there some way that we could find out in 2005 a pair of physicists proposed that there, if there was a creator they could have encoded a message in the background radiation of the universe left over from when the light was first relieved to flow freely through space this light is called the cosmic microwave background 
Now, astrophysicist Michael Hipke of Sonberg Observatory in Germany and Breakthrough Listening has gone out looking for the message, translating temperature variations in the CMB, which is that cosmic microwave background, uh, into a binary bitstream. What he discovered is, appears to be utterly meaningless. Hipke's paper describes his methods and finding and has been uploaded to preprint server. Yeah, this study has yet to be uh, peer-reviewed. The work includes the extracted bitstream so that other interested parties can study it for themselves. The cosmic background micro I'm sorry, the cosmic microwave background is an incredibly useful relic of early of the early universe. It dates back to around uh, 380,000 years after the Big Bang, which is just a blink of the eye if you think about the age of the universe. Prior to this, the universe was completely dark and opaque, so hot and dense that atoms couldn't form. Protons and electrons were flying around in the form of ionized plasma. So basically, the question is, is that if we look at the background radiation, could we find a signal or a message from the creator? And the question that I have is that how, uh, how could you decipher a pattern? How could, you, how could you decipher if there is a pattern or not? Right. And isn't that like, was, was it Beautiful Mind? Isn't that what he had a problem with? Was he was seeing patterns where they didn't exist? Right. So isn't that, don't we have like psychoses named for shit like that? Well, and now they're funding this guy's psychoses to try and find a pattern that may or may not exist. Yeah, this so is this guy's being paid to look for a pattern that may or may not exist. Well, the thing and is, then we spend a lot of money treating people who look for patterns. Damn it, he's a tin he's a professional tinfoil hat dude. <laughs> I don't think that this Michael Hipke um is he's not the same guy that was portrayed in a beautiful mind. I just want to make that absolutely no, no. totally clear. I do yeah. think it's the kind of work that somebody has to do. Somebody has to do it just to eliminate that as a possibility. But the question is, how, on what basis, on how would you, how would you find a pattern if there was one there? Let's just say just for the sake of argument that there was a pattern in the background radiation. Like God, let's just use God as an example or use God for lack for of a term, better word. For the, yeah. If God was going to leave us a signal from space, how? what would the format be? What's the codex? Oh, come on. What's Everyone th- knows God uses DOS. I, I don't know that. I don't. <laughs> I don't know that, Jay. I'm not enough <laughs> of a computer geek to know that. How do you know that God is not a Linux guy? How do you know that? Well, of course, God is a Linux guy. I mean, let's be honest. I was making a joke. Earlier, oh, oh, okay. All right. God has to be a Linux guy. But it's not a hard question to ask, Jay. And the thing is that it was just like, at, if you were to get some of the smartest people in a room together and come up with an idea of how could we send a signal in space that could be easily decipherable and people could put it together. And then you hand that signal off that they create to another group of smart people could they decipher it could they like let's see let me rephrase that 
You have this one group of people who say, let's create a code, a signal that says, we are here to the cosmos. And then you pass that code without the code key to another group of people and say, could you decipher this? And what is this? And it says, we're not going to tell you what it is. We're just going to say that it's, quote, a signal from space, quote, unquote, that we created. Let's see if you can decipher it. Could well, they decipher I'm reminded it? of. I'm reminded of the unbreakable quote unquote code right. that was used by the American forces in World War II. Yeah. Also known as the Navajo language. Yeah. So if he's looking to break a code, he should have cryptanalysis being conducted to try and find the code. But why would a being capable of creating the universe make a code? Why wouldn't they just leave a message? So wouldn't you also need linguistics looking at these things too? Yeah. But then science is limited by science. So science, the religion of science, only looks at things within its own scope of existence. So science is predicated on math for the most part because we want empirical evidence. So if he's looking at this CMB, this or CBM, CMB, Cosmic Microwave Background. If, he's, if they're looking at this from purely a mathematical standpoint, they may not ever see anything. But if they're looking at it from a mathematical plus a cryptological plus a linguistic background, maybe they will find something. If you're looking for some, a message being sent, you've got to look at all of the different ways you can send a message. Is it encrypted? Is it coded? Is it just people talking in a language you don't know? All of those require some sort of key to break them. Well, to do it easily anyway. There's ways of breaking it without it. But I worry that, you know, when you read an article like this, he's describing his methods and findings. Okay, so that's all well and good, but what methods is he using, you know? And the thing that I find amusing is this, this quote that's later on in the article. The assumptions were first that some superior being created the universe and second that the creator actually wanted to notify us that the universe was intentionally created. Aren't there a shit ton of people trying to kill each other that have been trying to kill each other for goddamn centuries over shit like that? Yeah. Isn't that basically what religion is? But we can't possibly count it as religion. We can't think of it as religion because, you know, that's not allowable by the religion of science. You know, so they're. If there is a creator and if the creator tried to speak with us, that is religion. So why are these people looking at something that is covered by religion and has been covered by religion without actually using or even considering the trappings of religion to try and encapsulate it? That's not an unfair question because that's exa that's exactly the problem. Right. So what... Are, how are they looking at it? How are they going to define things? And why are they not first looking at the religions of the world? It doesn't have to be Catholicism. It doesn't have to be Judaism. Why are, why are they automatically discounting these people who believe that they have a message from the Creator out of hand? They're not even considering them as being valid. Why aren't they? Well... How can I say this without being controversial? And maybe, maybe, and maybe, about being controversial. Well, 
because the thing, the whole incident with Twitter has sort of like left me a little gun shy here. I because the thing is, is that what if God left a back up in the via the background radiation of the universe? Mm -hmm. If there was going to be a if there was going to be a message from the almighty creator left somewhere, this astronomer seems to think that it would be hidden in the background radiation because it's, it's permanent. It's always there. It's always going to be there. It's, it's consistent. It's more, consi it's more consistent than the Northern star because the Northern star has only been around for maybe a couple of billion years. And that's not very, a very long time in the life of the universe. If there was going to be somewhere, somebody like God would leave a message. It would, that's where it would be according to this astronomer. Again, now, looking at things, looking at philosophical slash religious things through a scientific lens. Yeah. I'm just, it, why, Science has gotten to the point now where they're pursuing religious questions. Yeah. First of all. And second of all, they're not willing to look at them through a religious lens. You know, these are the basic fundamental reasons. If, you, if you're a follower of science, you believe that man created God. We invented the concept of God in order for us to better understand our place in the world and to justify our reasons for living, you know? So if that is true, this guy's a crackpot. This guy is doing nothing because there's no intelligent creator out there because an intelligent creator would be God. Right? Cause one of the other things and it's like, I'm, I'm quickly going through my audible, um, my audible, catalog here and that there was a book called the the sagan conspiracy and i bought this book like almost immediately after it was released back in 2016 i still want to be able to reach out to the author and see if i can get his hot take on this i, th I think it's been four years since his book was released um what the hypothesis of this guy's book is that way back in the beginning, Carl Sagan had this theory that if there were people, if there was intelligent life out there in the universe, maybe, maybe they may have already been here and already visited us. And there's evidence in the, in history. There's like, you look at the book of Ezekiel. Many people point to that as saying that that, that is a close encounter of the third kind from the perspective of somebody living in biblical times. We should, right. while we're, while SETI is looking it out into the stars for evidence of intelligent life, maybe we should do a version of SETI where we're looking back in time in, in human history to see if we can find intelligent life. And after a couple of years, Carl Sagan sort of dumped this thought and idea for, for reasons that this book, the Sagan conspiracy kind of goes into. It's also, it's, it's a good book, but it's also repetitive and it, it has a lot of leaps of faith, um, asked upon it. 
It needs you to take a couple of leaps of faith and saying that forget everything you thought you knew about Carl Sagan. Here's an aspect. And I, I'm not sure if this book has been debunked by his family or whatever, but it poses a very interesting question. And this is something that we have talked about on other episodes of the, of the podcast. And the, like in the controversy around Philip Copen's book, the, the, um, the Ancient Civilization Enigma, I think it was called. And it was mm-hmm. like, there are things here on Earth that seem out of place. And it looks like they were made by people who had technology or techniques that we've forgotten. Um, why and you not? can find them in all over the place. You can find them all over the place. Like there are these copper mines in what's now called um, the state of Michigan and Wisconsin that don't make any sense. Who um, who mined this copper? These copper mines are supposed to be hundreds, if not thousands of years old. And nobody remembers, hey, hey, who was here mining this copper? They did, they, that's, a, that's another fine example. Things embedded in rock and, and um, coal that really shouldn't be there, that, does, that defies explanations. Um, we could look at that as evidence of, quote, aliens, quote, unquote. But the thing is that it was just like, why not eliminate background radiation as a, quote, signal from God, unquote? Why not? It's just one guy. Um, I think that you raise a really good point. If you're, Why are you ignoring centuries or millennia of religious text as the, quote, message from God? Yeah. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know what to make of that story. I don't. And speaking of stories I don't know what to make of either, um, there are now three monoliths that have been found all over the world. The first one was in California, in Utah. Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Are they three or is it the same one being moved? Apparently they're, um, from what I understand from the story here, there's the first one that was in Utah, that one up and disappeared. And another one showed up in Romania. Yep, and now there's one in California. I think there's there's more than two of them. Now, Brett Weinstein has posted a lot about this on Twitter, and he says it's obviously man-made because there are weld marks. There's there's evidence with the up close pictures. This is not an alien artifact. According oh, no, this to this, definitely man-made. This is definitely man-made, and. So there's one in Romania. We have no idea who put that there that we know of. We have one in California. We have no idea who put that there. We are making assumptions that it's the same person or the same group of people. Uh, I, I don't think it is. I think someone put up the one in Utah. I think another group in Romania say, hey, they can do in Utah. We can do here. Right. You know, and then they set one up there and then there's a bunch of Californians who are like, fuck it, man, we can do that. You know, and it'll someone something will show up in like the Alps of France or somewhere in Africa or India or Australia. You know, I think this is going to be one of those things where, as my daughter put it, when her kids are teenagers in high school and learning about history and they're going to hear about what happened in 2020, they're going to be like, go to her and say, 
mom, do you remember hearing about monoliths in 2020? And she'll be like, child, I have been waiting for this day for centuries. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it, it's, I think honestly, this is a bunch of people who are there's this is just how they're reacting to all this craziness from COVID. You know, I do. I, I don't think you're not wrong. Um, and apparently the one that in that was in California that was found is now gone again. Yeah. Now, why? I know. I know that we talked about this in the previous episode, super monkey brains and the Utah monolith. Yep. And I have always wondered what how would people react if some alien artifact showed up in their backyard? I've always wondered how would people react and what would the world think? This could be a great thought experiment. Right. So for those listening, imagine you're in bed. You think you hear a thump late at night. You kind of walk around the house. You don't see anything. You go back to bed. You wake up in the morning. You make your morning cup of coffee. You look out your kitchen window and there's now some sort of decidedly alien monolith this column of black substance embedded in your front yard it's got some sort of writing all over it you can't identify it you have no idea what it is and there's some sort of flimsy material hanging from the top of it looks like it could be some sort of flag or ribbon or something what do you do yeah that's a great thought experiment it genuinely is Now, I think that you and I are of two different minds. You think that this is different people. You think that that these are copycats or parodies or whatever of the first one. My gut tells me, and I have no reason to feel this way other than it's just an instinct. I think that this might be the same group of people putting these monoliths up. And they're trying to say something or do something to get people's attention. Okay. Okay. Here we go. You ready? Right. Let's do this. Let's, I'm putting on my conspiracy tinfoil hat. Here we go. Utah is the home of the Mormon church. Mormon church has missionaries that are sent on missions all throughout the world. This is actually a secret, probably a secret cabal of Mormons, not necessarily sanctioned by the church, but Mormons nonetheless. California has more numbers of Mormons within them, within the state of California than there is in Utah. I know personally of three missionaries that have gone to Romania. So using their network, this group of people are contacting people that they've met through their missions and saying, hey, let's set up monoliths. So they set one up here in Utah, waited for it to get found. Took a few months. Reach out to their friends. Hey, we're taking ours down. You set yours up. Romania sets theirs up. It gets found. They take it down. Call the people in California. Hey, enact phase three. The people in California set theirs up. Theirs has been found. Now it's taken down. They've reached out to some people that they know somewhere else. This is all predicated on missionary work of the LDS Church. How's that for a conspiracy, buddy? That is an amazing conspiracy, Jay. That is an amazing conspiracy theory. You think that it's the Mormons, or you think it is not all Mormons, but you think that there are these there are Mormons involved. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. 
there are there are Mormons that go on missions all the way around the globe. It's not outside the realm of possibility that they've gone to Romania. And that's why we're seeing them where they are. It's because that's where this schmuck went on his mission. I think it, I think that it is it's it's a fascinating thought experiment, but it's nothing more than that. I think it's nothing yeah. more than performance art, as it were. Yeah, I can't believe that it's anything more than that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't think there's there's no there there. You know what I mean? There's no there's nothing here to indicate they're extraterrestrial by any way. I'm assuming um, aliens from outer space capable of traveling thousands and thousands of light years to reach the Earth are not going to be relying on screws in order to put the thing together. No, or, or rebar to hold it up. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there's, there's anything to this whatsoever of any preternatural, supernatural origin. There's nothing here to indicate anything of that sort. At least in my opinion. So I, I think also the other theory of this is this is somebody who's looking to provide a, a distraction from COVID mania. Well, not just COVID mania, but look at all the other shit that's been happening. You yeah. know, the election and everything else. I think this is, to me anyway, this might just be an artist or a group of artists or a number of artists who are acting individually being inspired by each other who are trying to do what art does and cause pe pe people to be distracted and to give them something else to think about other than the normal humdrum of their lives. And if that is the case, I applaud them because that's a fucking brilliant idea. It really is. It really is. There are two other things that I wanted to um, talk about before we wrapped it up. I wonder if we have time for this. Um, uh, as long as it doesn't take too long. All right. So the thing is, I have two posts from um, my my new favorite group, Paranormal Hauntings. This one is from Ashley Berry, and we asked her permission to, to read this. She posts, hi, everybody. The weirdest thing just happened to me and my son. We're sitting on the couch and I hear a single knock, but I heard it directly behind my head on the wall. The couch is against the wall. And I keep hearing a very light clicking noise. He turns to me like 30 seconds later and asks if I heard that not knock. I got goosebumps. Also, I should mention that I took that I took in a Christmas village set from my late grandmother last week. And ever since this time, I've been waking up at night, hearing things and feeling like somebody is watching me. Could this be her or something malevolent? I also want to throw it out that I watched a YouTube video about a debunk box around the same time that I received the village, so I am conflicted on what it could be. I know it sounds ridiculous, but thought it would be it was worth to to throw in maybe nothing. That again is from Ashley Berry. So for if I understand this correctly, she had brought home a Christmas village set that used to belong to her grandmother. And every ever since that she brought it home, she's had strange things happen in her house. I want to throw this out here and say that I know for a fact 
because of my own personal experience that certain items carry with them. I don't want to say the word spirits, but some kind of energy with them. Yes. I will agree with that. Um, I, I think that Ashley Berry has something going on in her house because of that vintage set. If everything that she says here in this post is true, and I have no reason to believe that it's not true. Right. And it's not necessarily malevolent in nature. It's not necessarily a bad spirit, so to speak. No. Um, could it be a part of um, her grandmother's spirit? Or is it a portal or uh, something that her grandmother is sort of attached to from the other side? Uh, I, I, have, I have no idea. Um, I don't know if I've ever heard of spiritual energy being attached to just an item or a group of items. It's usually just one item. So there might be one item in particular that she might want to um, keep a close eye on. Yeah, there's, I, I would certainly think keeping an eye on him would be good. I don't think she has necessarily anything to worry about. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think it's, it's malevolent in nature. If it's something that, her grandmother's spirit is tied to, or there's another spirit around her grandmother's or tied to her grandmother. That's tied to that. I doubt she has anything to worry about. Everyone kind of assumes when you say that there's a spirit around that it has bad intentions and that's not the case. In fact, frequently it is not the case. There's a lot of things that have a spirit attached to them that we keep around us all the time simply because, you know, we, we, it makes us feel good or we like looking at it. Those things carry those, those spirits with them. And if it makes you feel good, clearly it's not a bad spirit or at least not intentionally a bad spirit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's entirely possible. She's got a quote unquote haunted item. You know what I mean? Yeah. I and think I, there's I, I don't know, to me, that's kind of cool. Yeah. This is from a uh, same group, paranormal hauntings. Adriana Sanchez Malone writes, I have a two and a half year old boy today. He, he was playing in the den and suddenly he came running into me and said, there is a monster in the den. I ha asked him what the monster looked like because sometimes he kids around. He, however, he said that he was black and was crawling to him. So he got scared right away. He also said the monster said thank you to him. So strange, I automatically thought of a shadow person. What do you think? Imagination or paranormal? Um, I'm going to say th that Adriana knows her son better than anybody else. I'm willing to bet that, Jay. And I, that, I, I'll back you up on that. All right. And I, you can tell when your kid is making something up, and you can tell when your kid is saying something that at least the kid believes it to be true. There's a huge distinction here between what's true and what the kid actually believes. I think this is a crazy thing for kids to make up. I, I think that this is so far out in left field. Um, I have to also say this is, this is probable that the kid saw something. I think it's weird that you have this, quote, shadow person or shadow man crawl up to the kid and just say thank you i i think that that's very unusual and strange i, I, I would agree with that that's not that's not normal 
I, I think that this is, I think it's too weird not to be true. <laughs> well, uh, as you said earlier, why would the kid make this up? Unless the kids saw a movie or something, there's, there's something that kids either expand upon something they've seen or heard, or they make something up whole cloth, right? If they're going to make something up. And as you pointed out, she probably can tell when he's just making stuff up or she's around the kid enough to know what he's seen. So if he's seen a, a movie that has shadow people in it or a cartoon or something that has shadow people in it, she would have been aware of that. So the fact that she's even posting it leads me to think that something like that probably did not happen, right? So generally speaking, shadow beings are viewed as not good. They tend to be more malevolent in nature. And if her kid got scared, it probably is not a good thing. Um, if it's yeah. someplace she's lived for a while um, and this is the first time anything like that happened, something, some circumstances has changed. Right. And she may want to she may want to look into maybe cleansing the house. And yeah. this is another thing, too, that I think people people assume you have to go to like the Catholic Church to have an exorcism done. No, you don't. Um, as I've mentioned in the past, willpower is, is more important than anything else. And right. faith is a way of reinforcing willpower. So if you know someone who is a witch or you know someone who is a shaman or anyone who deals with these spiritual things, they can perform a cleansing of the house. And what that form that cleansing takes is really dependent upon the person themselves. You know, who is doing it, that's going to determine what form that's going to take. Yeah. So I would recommend if you think it might be malicious, do a cleansing. Because if it's still there after the cleansing, either it's a very powerful malicious spirit, more powerful than the person who did the cleansing, or it's not malicious. Right. Cleansing is not going to get rid of a good spirit. That's not the purpose of it. Think of, you can, you can kind of think of spirits as like fats. Right. Yep. You need to have good fats in your diet and not bad fats in your diet. And when you do a cleansing, you're getting rid of the bad fats. You're getting rid of the bad spirits. The good spirits are still there. So that would be my call anyway. Yeah. And like I had also said, she knows better than anybody else about her kid, the situation that's going on in that house. I would want to ask her if there are any new artifacts in her house are there any antiques that you have brought home if is there any is taking it back to the one the um the post that we just read a couple of minutes ago are there any new items in the house right are there any items that have any sort of strange properties to them and and then just go from there but i also have to totally agree with you jay i think that they ought to do a a, a cleansing as it were um yeah is there anything else that we wanted to bring up before we before we called it an episode? Uh, nothing comes to mind. I mean, did we want to talk about Shangyi? Yeah, go ahead. Um, this was an article you'd sent me. I don't know a day or two ago. Um, it's a video of the Shangyi Five spacecraft landing on the moon, and I watched the video. It's cool as hell. <laughs> it, it definitely is. It's one of those videos where it's like, I, I felt as if I was there and it's too bad that right. I couldn't stow away. You know, 
right? I would be starving now, by the time I got back, but... Now, do we know where on the moon this landed? I don't. I, I do, it's in the article that uh, we've read. I thought it was on the far side of the moon, to be honest with you. Okay. Oh, right. So, yeah, it does say. It says it landed near Mons Runker, a volcanic peak. Okay. I have no idea where Mons Runker is, if that's dark side or... Because I know China's been focusing a lot of their explore, lunar exploration on, uh, like, the poles. So, no, it is, it's on the near side. It's on the light side of the moon. Okay. Yeah, it, it achieved a soft landing. You know what a soft landing means? It means you could, like, launch again and come home. Yep. Um, uh, I, I am mistaken. China landed a spacecraft on the far side of the moon last year. I think this is the one where we talked about there are these, like, weird um, globs of something that they had found. We actually talked about yes. that on another, on yes. another episode. That, I remember that now. Yep. As a matter of fact, it was the beginning of this year. Uh, no, it was the beginning of last year. So I, I think I think that we we're on the cusp of something awesome for humanity. It is. It's an. It's actually kind of an exciting time once we get over this COVID bullshit. Yeah. Congratulations on surviving another episode of the Thor Chronicles Radio Show. Find out more about the Fedora Chronicles by visiting our website, thefedorachronicles.com. That's where you can find our show notes, past episodes, and articles. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram by simply searching for us on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so that you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, fedorachronicle at google.com are great ways to drop us a line with your comments and show topic suggestions and if it's any good we promise we will read your comment on the air support the show by contributing to our patreon page patreon.com slash fedora chronicles for a mere dollar a month you get early access to the podcast updates on what we're doing and for five dollars a month you get all that and a t-shirt and coffee mug of your choice terms and conditions apply. Thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing. You can also support the show and show off your incredible, impeccable taste by buying our merch at zazzle.com slash store slash Fedora Chronicles. The theme songs for the show are Royal Flush and Black Cabaret by All of Music. All other music on the show is listed on the show page and has been provided to us by Premium Beats from Shutterstock. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles 2020, all rights reserved. On behalf of my co-host Jason and I, this is Eric Renner King Fisk signing off and reminding you to keep your chins up and your fedoras on. <laughs>